All right, well, our scripture uh, this morning, this third Sunday of Advent, is Psalm chapter 20 through 22, verse 8. So if you want to open up your Bible to Psalm chapter 20, we're going to look at uh, kind of two and a half psalms, uh, as it were, this morning. It's page 456 in your pew Bible. You can find that and then stand, and uh, I will read it for us this morning. You follow along in your, in your copy of God's Word. Psalm 20, 21, and 22 through verse 8. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices. In your salvation, how greatly he exults. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the requests of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you, and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. You make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will find out all of your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of men. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. For you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groanings. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. And you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who seek me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. The word of the Lord. All right, well, this morning marks the third Sunday of Advent, and the third Sunday of Advent traditionally is focused on the theme of joy. And so for the, folk, for, the, uh, for the purpose of our sermon series here, or for the sermon this morning, I want to take a moment to define joy. And I'm going to define joy in a way that I think is uh, seen throughout the scriptures. Um, 
And that I think the way we see it in this text here this morning. But for the purpose of this sermon, I'm defining joy as a deep-seated sense of peace and well-being. A deep-seated sense of peace and well-being. Joy is a bit different than happiness. Joy often bubbles up into happiness, but joy is deeper than happiness. Happiness is on the surface as it were, and it depends only on the moment. It comes and goes with every changing wind of circumstance. But joy is deep-seated. It's a deep-seated sense of peace and well-being. It's not easily knocked off kilter. It's rooted and it's anchored. And joy has the capacity to genuinely smile in the face of adversity. So here on this third Sunday of Advent with our focus on joy, I ask you, how is your deep-seated sense of peace and well-being this morning? How is your sense that all is right with your world, regardless of the ever-changing winds of circumstance? Now, someone asked me how my joy is doing this morning. Go ahead, someone ask me. Thank you for asking. My sense of joy, it comes and goes, but it's doing pretty well this morning. But if I'm going to be honest, and we're in church, so I, I should be honest, and I'm a pastor, so I have another reason to be honest. When life is going well, joy comes easier for me. When life is not going well, joy is harder. But if you've been a Christian for more than a few minutes, you know that joy is supposed to transcend our earthly circumstances, good or bad. We're supposed to rejoice again, I say rejoice. Always rejoice, as the Apostle Paul so annoyingly tells us in Philippians chapter 4. And that could be a tricky thing to do, if we're honest. Well, this morning, we're looking at our three psalms here, 20, 21, and 22, and we're going to see a connection in this psalm between deliverance and joy, between God's deliverance and joy, because God's deliverance leads to joy. But we're going to see something else, too. We're going to see what it is about God's deliverance that leads to joy, because it's not just the deliverance Something else. But that's getting ahead of myself, so let me just direct us back here to Psalm 20. And let's see if we can't find the psalmist's connection between deliverance and joy this morning. All right, so Psalm 20, as we jump into our text, let me just say a quick word about the psalms and how these three psalms hang together. All of our psalms this morning were written by King David. And now each psalm in the Psalter... And Psalter is just a fancy way of referring to the book of Psalms. So if you want to impress your friends, you can be, you know, oh, the Psalter, the Psalter, like this. So like kids like at OPRF, maybe in the lunchroom, you can be like, hey, pass the Psalter. And they'd be like, what's that? And you'd be like, oh, it's actually the Psalms. I was referring to the Psalms. And you, you, they'll love it. And you can be like, my pastor taught me that. And then they'll love you even more. I know in the, in the OPRF cafeteria, that's all the rage. Any case, all right. In any case... Each psalm in the Psalter is able to stand alone 
as its own psalm. But the psalms have been arranged in a particular order. It's not like just they all got written and thrown into a bucket and they got pulled out one at a time and put into the book of psalms. The theme of each psalm often hangs together with the psalm just before or after it. And that's the case with these three psalms. Psalms 20 is a prayer for deliverance. Psalm 21 is the realization of that deliverance. And Psalm 22 is what happens when deliverance doesn't come. So even though these got three psalms here we're dealing with the same theme of God's deliverance and how God's deliverance brings joy all right so psalm 20 and the joy of deliverance psalm 20 is written as a prayer by David for God's people when they find themselves in a situation of trouble or a bad spot and David in verse 1 prays that God would answer his people in the day of trouble that he would protect them he prays that divine help would come from the sanctuary and would give them support. The sanctuary refers to the temple, which is where uh, God's presence sat among his people. It's where the ark of God's covenant was, the center of the sanctuary. So when I read about divine help coming from the sanctuary, I picture the power of God rushing up from under the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, out past the temple veil, out past the temple gates, out past the walls of the city to deliver God's people where they are in their place of trouble. And if we skipped ahead to 21, 7 through 9, to the part where, of the psalm where God's, trouble, or God's deliverance has come, we can catch a glimpse of what David thinks of or how he describes this divine help coming to the rescue of God's people who are in trouble. Look at chapter 21, 7 through 9. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. He's praying to the Lord and saying, this is how it's going to be when you come on the day to rescue me. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will consume them. It's great for David. It's not so great for David's adversaries. When I read this passage here about how God's deliverance is like a blazing oven and a consuming fire, I, I think of that moment in the first Indiana Jones movie. You have to go back far enough so kids, this may be before your time, but when Harrison Ford was, was really young. And you're like, who's Harrison Ford? Exactly, I don't even know, right? But that first Indiana Jones movie where the Nazis have captured Indy and Marion and they've forced Indy to reveal the location of the Ark of the Covenant. And then the Nazis open the Ark of God's presence and God's spirit, God's presence comes rushing out like a glowing cloud of fire and melts off all the faces of the Nazis. Happy Advent. It's like that. <laughs> so in any case... Uh, Back to verse 3, back to verse 3, David prays that God would remember the offerings and sacrificial gifts of his people that have been offered with sincere and earnest hearts and seeking after God for his deliverance. And in verse 4, he prays that God would grant the heart's desire of his people and fulfill all their plans. And then in verse 5, we get, I think, to the climax of David's prayer. Look at verse 5, chapter 20. May we shout for joy over your salvation. And in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all of your petitions. 
David's prayer is that God would ride to the rescue, that he would deliver his people from their troubles, fulfill all of their petitions, and that in this deliverance, they would shout for joy. And then David goes on in the rest of the psalm to express his confidence that God will come through. Look at verses 6 through 8. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. So here's how David frames up the connection between deliverance and joy. When we find ourselves in a bad spot and we need deliverance, when life is giving us trouble and a hardship, when we are in distress, we are to look to God, to call out to God, and he will come to our rescue and deliver us out of our trouble. And then in this deliverance, we will shout for joy over our salvation. Now, if you know the story of David's life, this is the story of David's life. He's writing this out of his own personal experience. He began as just a shepherd boy, forgotten by his father, mocked by his brothers, had a spear thrown at him by Goliath, was persecuted by King Saul. He was caught up in a, in a coup against his kingship by his own son. But the Lord delivered David out of all of his troubles. And in God's deliverance, David rejoiced. He had a deep-seated sense of peace and well-being. And the Psalms are his testimonies about the joy that God's deliverance has birthed in his heart. But this isn't just David's experience, and it isn't just the Psalms. The whole Bible is filled with stories of deliverance leading to joy. Israel out of Egypt, Israel saved from the Midianites, Israel saved from the Syrians, Israel brought back from exile. In each case, God's deliverance resulted in a deep-seated sense of peace and well-being. And that connection between deliverance and joy carries on into the present day amongst the people of God, even here in to Calvary. Because we all have our own troubles, marriage troubles, parenting troubles, work troubles, money troubles, sin troubles, health troubles, friend troubles, romantic troubles the lack of romantic troubles, and on and on. And many of you can testify to what it was like and have testified to what it was like to be in a mess, in over your head, adrift at sea, caught up in your troubles, but then you humbled yourself and called out to the Lord and he rushed from heaven and he melted off the faces of your enemies, metaphorically speaking, and set you upright on solid ground and fulfilled all of your petitions. And your marriage was healed and your kids came back to the Lord. You got a promotion at work. Your rich uncle died and left you his fortune. You overcame your addiction. You were healed beyond the doctor's expectations. Your friendships were restored. You finally found the one and on and on. And just when it seemed like all was lost, God stepped in with his deliverance and he rescued you. And in that moment of deliverance, you were filled with joy, with a deep-seated sense of peace and well-being. Some of you have been delivered by God into joy like that because you've shared your testimonies at the Thanksgiving service or the other times we have testimonies throughout the year. 
And they're beautiful stories of God's power to save. Now, maybe some of you don't have a big, grand story of deliverance like that. And that's okay, because God has his time. And, and maybe you've never had a big enough trial to have a big enough story like that. And then just count yourself blessed that you haven't had to have a big, grand moment of deliverance. But maybe you have no story of God delivering you out of your troubles because you've never really asked him to. Oh, sure, you toss up a few please help me prayers every now and again when life gets hard. But when David talks in verse 3 about remembering all of your offerings and all of your burnt sacrifices, you can't really say, if you're honest, that you've actually earnestly sought the Lord's help like that. Maybe this morning, as you reflect upon your life of trouble and distress, if you're most honest, you know that you've just basically been doing life on your own. You believe in God. That's why you're here at church this morning. Maybe you came with your spouse, teens. Maybe you're here with your parents. You don't disbelieve in God. But when you think about your life of problems and troubles, you don't reach for divine aid. You think of God as a morality, a religion, kind of maybe some parameters in which you have to live, but kind of you're left to yourself to figure out what you're going to do in the middle there. You don't think of God as a help. He's not someone that you depend upon or look to for deliverance. And if that's you... And God has a word for you this morning. Teens, maybe that's you. And if it is, then listen to what the Lord is speaking to you. Or maybe for some of you who attend with your spouses, but you don't really engage meaningfully with God in any kind of significant way. This morning, if you are stuck in the slew of despond, as the Pilgrim Progress book recalls it, if you have troubles, stop trying to resolve all of your troubles on your own. Stop trusting in chariots. Stop trusting in horses. Start trusting in the name of the Lord your God. This maybe isn't a message for everyone here. Maybe this is a specific word for some of you. Maybe just one of you. I don't know who. But someone needs to hear this invitation. Listen, if the Spirit of God is stirring up inside of you as you listen to my voice, what's stirring up inside of you is not my voice, but the Spirit of God's voice. If he has made you wrapped with attention right now to hear what he's saying, then listen to my voice as his voice. He longs to deliver you. He longs to leap off of his throne and come to your rescue. He has fixed his eye upon you, and he is poised on the edge of his seat, and he is calling you to call on him.
Try him and see. Stop trusting in all the other earthly powers to deliver you. Call out to him in your distress and your trouble. Let him lead you into the joy that comes from his deliverance. Because he is a God of deliverance. Listen here to Psalm 107. I won't read all of it because it's a long song, but it's this recounting of God's deliverance. The psalmist writes, Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze, and he cuts in two the bars of iron. Skipping to the end of the psalm, he raises the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. He stands ready to deliver us. Because he loves us. So if the Lord is calling out to you this morning to stop trying to find your deliverance, to stop trying to find your joy in every which way but him, turn to him in your distress and he will come to you. All right. So that's Psalm 20. Now let's take just a brief interlude before we jump into Psalm 21. Because here's a fair question. Is David telling us in Psalm 20 that we have to wait on the Lord and his deliverance to have joy? And it's only possible to have joy when the Lord comes and delivers us. So that while we're in the midst of our troubles, we're not going to have joy, but joy will come when God comes to deliver us. And if that's the message of Psalm 20, how is that not just another version of I can have joy when life is going well, but I can't have joy when life is hard? Because I know that some of you have earnestly sought the Lord for deliverance. Not just half-hearted prayers that you fire off to God without thinking much about it. You have earnestly sought the Lord for deliverance. And you have brought offerings upon offerings and sacrifices upon sacrifices. And you've read all the Bible stories about God's promises of deliverance. 
And you've done your best to believe all of those promises. But you are still in trouble and you still don't have joy. What then about joy for you in the midst of your trouble? And that brings us to Psalm 21. And to the question that I posed at the beginning of the sermon, what is it about God's deliverance that brings us joy? Because it's not actually God's deliverance that brings joy. Joy comes when God delivers us, but it's not actually the deliverance that causes the joy. All right, so Psalm 21, Psalm 21, 1 through 5, David continues on with this theme of deliverance and joy. Look here. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices. In your salvation, how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked a life of you. You gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow upon him. David is giving testimony to God's deliverance. He's, Psalm 20, praying that God's deliverance would come to the people. But now in Psalm 21, he's testifying how God's deliverance has come to him. He's giving testimony about it. Then we get to verse 6, and I think the linchpin of joy. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. The joy of your presence. The reason that God's deliverance brings joy is not because it's God's deliverance, but because it's God's presence. Deliverance is just another way that God draws near to us. But the real source of joy is God himself. Imagine a young lady that's been dating her boyfriend for a couple years. We're getting here to the Christmas season. Things are moving along in their relationship, and she's really hoping for an engagement ring this Christmas. Right? And so she's praying, Lord, I want this relationship to, to, to solidify, move forward. I, I would really love an engagement ring for Christmas. So she's out on a Friday evening late here in December with her boyfriend. And as they're leaving dinner, her boyfriend pulls out his pocket. He says, oh, hey, you know what? We were cleaning out my grandma's house after she died. And I found, we found a bunch of her jewelry. And I found uh, her old wedding ring. And I was going to sell it on eBay. But then I thought, ah, I'm not going to sell on eBay because I should have something meaningful. So anyway, I thought maybe you would like it. So I'm going to give it to you. Where do you want to go for a movie now? Has her prayer been answered? <laughs> well, she got an engagement ring, but she didn't really want an engagement ring, did she? At the end of the day, what she really wanted was a marriage proposal. She wanted what the engagement ring represented. She wanted the commitment of her boyfriend's love in a lifelong way that was signified by the engagement ring. Deliverance without God's presence is like an engagement ring without God's love. It just doesn't bring real joy. But when we call out to God and we experience his deliverance and it brings joy, what we are really experiencing, what is really causing us joy is his presence of love in our lives. We are experiencing 
God himself drawing near to us. And it's him in his love for us, not his deliverance, that is bringing us joy. He himself is our joy. As David says in 21.6, you make him glad with the joy of your presence. And that's such good news because what it means is that we can have joy even in the midst of our troubles. Even if we don't have God's deliverance, we can still have the joy of God's presence. And the placement of Psalm 22 right on the heels of Psalm 21, I think, is making this very point. Psalm 22 is such a striking contrast to Psalm 20 and 21. I mean, even as we were reading it before we started the sermon, did you feel the the abrupt shift that takes place? From singing and exalting in the strength and the power of God to my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Listen again to the words of Psalm 22, 1 through 8. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. You are enthroned, you are wholly enthroned on the praises of Israel, and in you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But but I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads, they, saying, He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. David is in distress, the thick of it. And he's saying, I know all the stories about God's deliverance of his people so that when when, when God's people call out to him for salvation, God comes rushing forward with deliverance. And, and I know you've done that for your people in the past. And I've been calling out for salvation and deliverance, but I'm not getting any salvation and deliverance. Skip ahead to verses 14. We won't take time to read the whole psalm, but 14 to 15. David says, I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. David, all throughout this psalm, all the way from verse 1 all the way to 21, he's in his distress. But then listen to what he says in verse 22. In spite of all that distress, I will tell your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. Even in his trouble, he proclaims the goodness of God to the people of God. He praises the Lord and calls Israel to join him in praising the Lord and glorifying the Lord, even in the midst of his distress. In verse 24, he assures those who are troubled that God sees them in their affliction and that he is with them and that he has not hidden his face from them. And then that from you in verse 25, from you comes my praise in the congregation. I think David means from you, from your presence in my life. This is the source of my praise in the great congregation. 
David is praising and glorifying the Lord even in the midst of his darkest troubles. Because for David, the source of joy is not God's deliverance, but God himself. As long as he has God, it's enough. It's because God is himself the hope of every human heart. He is the longing of every human soul. All of creation thirsts for God, hungers for God. Not what he can bring or what he can give, but himself. Because to have him is to have everything. Perhaps one of the clearest places in the Bible where we can see this idea about having the Lord even when we have nothing else comes from Habakkuk 7. Habakkuk is a, a, a woeful uh, Old Testament prophet be, uh, bemoaning the, uh, the trouble that has come upon the nation of Israel because of foreign oppressive powers. And it's a lament all through three chapters. And then at the end of Habakkuk, at the end of chapter 3, Habakkuk says this. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God himself, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. This is an ancient version that we could sing or we could say in ourselves, in our troubles, even if my marriage fails, even if my kids never come back to the Lord, even if I don't get the promotion at work, even if my rich uncle cuts me out of his inheritance or I'm not healed or my friendships aren't restored, even if I never find that special someone, even if it all goes south from a worldly perspective, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord and take joy in the God of my salvation because he himself is my salvation. His presence in our lives, not merely his deliverance, is our deep-seated sense of peace and well-being. Perhaps some of you this morning have been looking and longing for the joy of deliverance but God is gently redirecting you to the joy of his presence. He wants to offer you himself, not simply a better marriage or happier kids or a new job or miraculous healing or better friends or a spouse. He knows that true happiness will never ultimately be found in those things. Those are good things. They're expressions of his goodness, expressions of his love, expressions of his kindness. But the true thing that we need to learn to hope in is God himself. He loves us with a steadfast love. And he sees your troubles. He sees your cares. As David says in Psalm 56, he has kept count of your tossing and turnings on your bed at night. And he has put your tears in his bottle. And he knows that your experience of his love is the only way to find true joy. Finding the joy of deliverance is elementary school Christianity. Even baby Christians can do it. I'm in trouble. 
I call out to God. He delivers me. I rejoice. It's glorious and it's real and it does lead us to true encounters of God. But it's not especially hard to figure out. Even baby Christians can do it. But finding the joy of presence without deliverance, that's harder and it's more painful. Learning how to find your delight and joy in the Lord when your world around you is crashing down and breaking apart. That takes the deep things of faith. Maybe this morning you've long ago given up on any hope for joy of deliverance. Maybe you have been pursuing the joy of God's presence. But you're still not finding him. I know that's been true of my life at certain points. What I would say to you is keep pursuing him. But as you pursue him, rest in this truth. Finding God isn't because you find him. It's because he finds you. And he is right now finding you. If you're seeking hard after God, you're trying to find the presence of God, but you're not finding him. He's not some puzzle to be solved or a prize that's waiting at the end of a difficult scavenger hunt. He comes to us and reveals himself to us in his love. And he is using the things that are standing in the way of you finding joy to make a way for you to find joy. The very things that you think are obstacles to joy are the raw materials of what he is using to construct a bridge for you to his presence and the joy that waits in his presence. And he has been working your whole life to make you able to receive him. So do what you can to stay open to his love. Stay faithful to what you know. And then wait quietly for the Lord. He loves you. And he will not forget you. And that brings us to communion this morning. Because communion is the great reminder, the great sign that God has not forgotten us. We're celebrating communion all through the season of Advent because communion is the reminder that God is present with us. And Advent is the season that we celebrate the presence of God coming in to the world. And when God's presence comes into the world, what we experience is joy. Turning your Bibles real quick to Luke chapter 2. It's the song that we sing so much at Christmas time. Joy to the world. Joy to the world because the Lord is come. He himself is our joy. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy 
that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The name Jesus means God's salvation. The name Emmanuel means God with us. The whole point of the history of salvation all throughout the scriptures is to lead us to this moment, this Christmas moment when God comes himself in the person of the Son to reveal our salvation to us. But salvation isn't something that God brings with him like, a, like something in his bag. When Jesus comes, he himself is the salvation. And this is why we take communion to remind ourselves that what God gives us that saves us is himself. And the joy that we find in this life is not deliverance from all of our worldly troubles, but ultimately the joy that we find in this life is the taking into ourselves of the presence of God.